This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Today's guest is Lisa Jones. Lisa had a full out-of-body shared death experience with her husband, and today we're going to learn about that and more. Lisa, thank you so much for joining me and welcome. Thank you, Jeffrey. I'm so thrilled to be here. All right. My audience loves to hear about these experiences. So if you don't mind, can we start on the day yours happened? Absolutely. It was actually February 22nd, 2004. And my husband had been battling cancer for nearly seven years. And it was a lymphoma diagnosis. And he had actually had uh, three stem cell transplants, multiple rounds of chemotherapy and radiation and Um, Even our our insurance company uh, for the second two stem cells, we were living in Connecticut. And for the first transplant, we went to Sloan Kettering in New York City. But then when he needed the the extra ones, uh, they wouldn't cover that. So they said we could either go to Seattle or Houston. So we went to Seattle for nine months and lived in a hotel room. And he underwent those two more procedures and our children uh, were I think like seven and nine at that point, they were one and three when he was first diagnosed. So it was, it was a long arduous experience leading up to this moment of February 22nd, 2004. And uh, just earlier in that week, we were told by the doctor that there was really, there was nothing more to be done. He had, you know, exhausted every possible uh, treatment. So um, we decided I mean, in retrospect, it seems kind of ridiculous, but that one, that was on a Wednesday, we were told that. And we said, well, we don't want to tell the children until the weekend. We don't want to disrupt their week of school, you know? And um, in retrospect, I always like to say, if you have a truth that needs to be told to people, tell it immediately and don't wait. Um, Basically he woke up Friday, completely incoherent and unable to really talk. So it was left up to me to explain this to the children. And it was a very difficult, you know, experience to have to go through that. So, um, so that was on Friday, I called the doctor and he said, well, let's bring hospice in. So hospice was called and they arrived on Saturday and gave an assessment and brought all the paraphernalia for him. And they said, you know, he actually looks really good. It's probably going to be another two or three weeks before he actually dies. And I was beside myself. I had never experienced actual being with anyone that's died before um, my, all of my grandparents died after my husband did. So, and I was 37 at this point and my husband was 44. Um, So his brother had driven down that day from New Hampshire and then his best friend had flown out from Seattle. And um, so the two guys were with me and then my children that night, um, my daughter went to her best friend's house and, my son went to Ian's mother's house who also lived in town near us. Um, and again, it wasn't, we weren't thinking he was going to die that night or anything. We just, it was like, okay, the kids want to go out, you know, let's just figure out and what the next steps are. So I had, um, he was in our bed and I had given him a kiss goodnight. He was, he was basically, um, unconscious at this point. And, um, I gave him a kiss on his forehead and then I went to my daughter's room to sleep because I had pretty much been up for the last 24 hours 
given the whole everything that unfolded at that point. And so his brother and best friend sat with him and I laid down <laughs> and it's just amazing as I, as I approach the story each and every time, it's just so real. And so, um, uh, yeah, I just can feel it, which is an amazing experience because I, I get to relive this most miraculous situation that has ever happened to me. Um, so I laid down and at that point, there's a little bit of a backstory, which I'm not going to go into right now, but I had connected with angels during the time that he was sick. And um, somebody had asked me, you know, are you talking to your angels? And I thought they were crazy. I'm like, I, I have no idea what you're talking about. And, you know, I don't really want to know what you're talking about. But um, as we led up to the final couple years of his experience, I had been talking to my angels. And so that night I prayed and, and just said, please help me because there's no way out. Um, please help Ian. And um, I laid my head down. And the next thing I know, obviously I must've fallen asleep, but I left my body. I was escorted by two angels that took me to, for lack of a better word, heaven. And it was the most beautiful, spectacular, structure. It looked, it reminded me of a castle. It had really large um, stone. Again, there's hardly any words to describe it because it's nothing like we have here on earth. And yet it was similar to say a castle with really thick stone walls, but everything was gleaming and clean and crisp and everything like every molecule was saturated with pure love and happiness and joy. And so they were escorting me into this building and it was, again, it's hard to even explain what these angels or escorts look like. It wasn't, I wouldn't say they were like typical angels with wings, but more just these beautiful loving uh, beings um, of light and so I was escorted in and there was a big announcement that was going around. It was the grand Mr. Ian Sharp is about to arrive. And that was my husband's name, Ian Sharp. And so all of these beautiful souls were gathering. I feel like we, we came in on like a higher level, but we were looking down over this beautiful courtyard and all of these souls were coming together. And there were, there was a, a fountain in the middle with water and um, there were banners all around. And again, trumpet, trumpets were, were, were playing and this announcement and the hubbub or the excitement level was just getting more and more and more because they knew it was imminent that he was about to arrive. And so just as people were just, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, here he comes, here he comes a giant door started to open and it was just, you could almost hear it dragging on the ground, you know, and, and they're like, he's here, he's here. And just at that moment, it was Lisa, Lisa, wake up, wake up. And it was my brother-in-law and he burst into my daughter's room and said, Ian's taken his last breath. And just, it was the culmination of the simultaneous as Ian was walking in. So I really didn't get to see his physical or anything walk, you know, other than I feel like his foot was like just gracing, uh, going through the, the front of the door that I felt like a trap door opened and I felt the falling back into my body. And I jumped out of bed 
and I had pure joy <laughs> in my heart. I was I was overwhelmed and so excited. I mean, that was the, that's how I felt. I just, I was, I wasn't sad. I wasn't, I I mean, I didn't know what I was going to feel when I was told my husband had died, but it certainly wasn't at all what I expected, which was this absolute euphoric feeling of, oh my God, oh my God, he, you know, and yet I was cognizant enough to not say something to my brother-in-law that like, oh my God, I just saw him going into heaven because I thought I was like, is this crazy? What's happening? I couldn't process the whole thing. Um, And so I ran down to my daughter's room was at one end of the hallway and our bedroom was at the other. So I just ran down and I looked at his body and I could tell that he wasn't there. I mean, it was like a shell of his, you know, of his body. And, um, so I just was kind of, I, I, I was swirling. I didn't know, you know, <laughs> and one of the things to, to kind of backtrack is I was raised very religiously and I was taught that if you weren't baptized, you'd go to hell. And I was very concerned because Ian was not baptized. As far as I knew, I, I literally, he was adopted as a baby. So I was going back trying to find birth records and to see if maybe he had been baptized. He had no interest in being baptized before he passed. And so I was beside myself thinking that he was going to go to hell, which now in retrospect seems like the most uh, just kind of ridiculous fairy tale. I mean, (laughs) what I feel like I just told you sounds like a fairy tale. And yet now I believe that going to hell is the fairy tale. Um, But, you know, I just... I, I feel like I was given this divine dispensation because I don't know if I could have gone on um, being the mother of my two children and, and thinking that he had gone to hell and, you know, I was left here on this earth without him. And um, so then later that morning, um, I mean, a couple of things happened. We were waiting for the, um, the, I always forget the name of the person that comes, the mortuary guy to come and take his body from the house. And um, so while I was waiting, I went back upstairs and I noticed that on the electric blanket that he had on the letter E was on the, on the turntable. And um, I went downstairs and I said to his best friend, I said, I don't know why there was a letter E on the, because it's only numbers, you know, I mean, granted it was an electronic thing, but it, it said E and he said, Oh, eternity. And I was like, Oh my God. And then I, I opened my hand. I had just given Ian a new wedding band that earlier that week on February 14th on Valentine's day, because his fingers had gotten so small. He had lost so much weight that his, his wedding band kept falling off. (laughs) And on the inside of it, I said, eternally yours. And so I was like, oh, my God, that is crazy, because I just took this ring off his finger and you said eternity, you know, eternity. And that's what's written in this ring. So that was one thing. And then in the morning when um, I had to go tell my children, I was like, oh, my gosh, now I've got to go tell them because this was not an expected moment. So um, as I was blow drying my hair, I just had closed my eyes and I was just thinking about what I was going to say. And all of a sudden, Ian's voice was right in my left ear and it was clear as a bell. And he just said, oh, my God, Lisa, I love you. But it's so awesome here. Mm -hmm. And that was such a confirmation to me that where I, you know, saw him or heard that he was being welcomed into that he actually, you know, arrived there. 
So um, it, it completely just changed my entire life, this whole experience. And um, I, I actually had, um, the, I was, a I was um, going to the Episcopal church at that time. And so the, the minister came to my house later that morning to, I guess, comfort me. And we, and he was kind of an interim minister. And so all he talked about was that he was retiring and that he wasn't sure whether he should leave all his books to Yale, which was his alma mater or what to do with them. And I'm just sitting there like, why are you talking to me about your books? And my husband died less than, you know, six hours ago and you're talking about books. And it just, it was just a confirmation to me that I didn't, need or want any kind of organized religion any longer because I just had this direct experience of seeing exactly what's happening and that the whole baptism thing is a, you know, in my opinion, a sham and um, unnecessary. And um, so that was, that was kind of the beginning of my spiritual awakening, which then proceeded uh, the, the mediumship, which is what started with him talking in my ear, um, continued to unfold. And I was doing angel readings. I actually, I was working at a hedge fund. I was a certified public accountant when I met my husband, I worked for Pricewaterhouse in San Francisco. And then we moved to DC and I worked for Ernst & Young. And then we moved to New York or just outside in Connecticut. And I was working for a hedge fund. Um, And one of the things my husband said a week before he died was, oh my God, I've been pushing numbers around on pieces of paper my entire career. I wished I had helped more people. And he was a tax attorney for General Electric and um, was on the corporate climb and was very successful in that. Um, But, and he was 44 years old when he died. So I was working at the hedge fund and I was approaching my 44th birthday and suddenly it hit me oh my God, I'm going to be 44. And all I'm doing is pushing numbers around on pieces of paper. I've got to get out of here. (laughs) You know, here I'm getting the opportunity to live longer than he did. And I want to make a difference in people's lives. And meanwhile, my guides were telling me, you got to leave the hedge fund. You got to leave the hedge fund. And so I finally put in my notice. And, um, and it was again, very funny because they said, if you stay for just two more weeks, we'll give you $10,000. I said, okay. And so that was kind of the seed money for starting my own business when I left, which I really wasn't sure what I was going to be doing other than I wanted to do angel readings and start connecting people with, with, um, with that. So, um, I started doing angel readings and, um, a funny story is, I had a client. She was a pretty regular client. She would come maybe every couple of weeks or something. And then one day she said, "Oh my gosh, there's somebody here in the room." And I said, "Oh really? I don't I don't see that person." And she's like, "Well, yeah, he." And then she started describing him. And I was like, "Oh my gosh, that's my husband's assistant. He was he was just killed in a fire about a, a month ago, and um, he was only 27. It was a tragic story that he he died in a house fire." And anyway, she said, well, I can hear him. And he's telling me to tell you, Lisa, to keep doing this work. This is your work. And I'm like, what? (laughs) So meanwhile, the angels are talking to me and I'm telling her what the angels are saying. And then she sees the spirit that then she's telling me what he's saying. And I said, I don't think I can charge you for a reading because I think you're giving me more information than I am for you. But um, it was just so amazing how everything kept unfolding. And then. Um, I was asked by the, um, 
it was called the Ridgefield Playhouse. If I wanted to do a stage show, I had actually gone there to sponsor Gabrielle Bernstein, who she's a New York Times bestseller. I think she's had eight, eight books or something. And I just went as just a little card reader to, you know, and I sat there and I, I read cards for people for free. And in about two minutes, people were just had tears like on their cheeks saying, how did you know what what's happening here? And so the um, the woman who ran the, the theater said, well, would you like your own show? And I said, OK. So next thing I know, I was doing live stage shows, telling my story, which is pretty much what I just told you. And then um, and then doing mediumship and bringing people through. And it, it it still astounds me to this day, again, being a former CPA, just very logical, very um, analytical that. I don't know how it works. I don't know. I can't explain it, but the things that come through are very clear, are very identifying. I mean, I get names, I get dates, I get, you know, specifics of what people did or do, Um, you know, just, it's just, it's astounds me the kinds of things that, that happen. And then, um, so the first time I think about 150 people showed up and then the next year, 500 people showed up and I didn't do any advertising. I didn't do anything. It just kept coming. I was then asked to be the Monday morning medium uh, on a radio show just outside New York city on star 99.9, which was so much fun. We had two DJs and me in the morning and uh, one DJ, of course, he was the skeptical. And then um, Anna, she was all about, you know, what I was doing. And so we just had so much fun, so, so much banter. And and then um, I was approached by a television company to start a television show. And I was super excited. That's been my lifelong dream to do that. And um, so right at that time, it was 10 years after my husband died, um, I had come out to to Kauai to visit my mom. She was out here. I now live out here in, in Maui. Um, she'd come for a, a month long visit and said, you know, why don't you come out? And I said, okay. And, and it was so interesting how it all unfolded because I, I said, well, let me see if I can get a flight. And I happened to have a few miles and I was able to come out here on 25,000 miles first class. And I'm like, wow, that's has never happened to me before. And then I came and then every day I'd go out, like I got friends over there. I was going to go hiking and then I had a flat tire. So I ended up spending the day with my mom or just a certain, all these strange events happened where I kept spending the time with my mom, which was really amazing. And then as I was leaving, it was almost as though I walked through a threshold and it's like, you're going to be back and something's going to have happened to your mother. And I was like, I stopped. I was, I was dragging my bag out to the car and I'm like, what was that? But I didn't, number one, I didn't want to accept that. And number two, I just, I just thought, well, that's weird. And exactly a week later, I get a phone call that my mom had had a stroke. And so I, uh, I had actually flown home Oh, that was it. I got to spend an extra day or two with her because there was a huge snowstorm on the East Coast. So they had to rebook my flight and I ended up getting to spend two more days with her, which was such a blessing. Um, but as soon as I flew home, I actually had flown to Ireland for a family event. And then I flew back from Ireland and it was that night that my mom had the stroke. So I repacked. I laid down for two hours before I went to the airport. And as I laid down, all of a sudden, I felt like a cat jump up on the bed and I don't have a cat, but my mom had a little spirit cat that she and I had talked about when I was with her. 
and I could hear the cat purring. And I just was, again, it was like, what's happening? You know, this magical moment's happening right now. And then all of a sudden my mom's energy came swooping in. It was like a tsunami. And she said, you said we'd be able to talk when I went to the other side. And I was like, oh my gosh. And it was just this pure, loving, beautiful essence of her soul and her. And she just, just, it was like she uh, downloaded just all of this information to me of how much she loved me and cared for me and, you know, was so excited that we were connecting on the other side. And I just was, I didn't want it to stop, you know, so I just let it unfold. And then on the way to the airport, I called my brother to tell him and he said, oh my God, she came to me too. So she had swooped in and um, told her, told him as well. And I was concerned. I didn't want to know if she had died or not. So I didn't call my stepdad all the way to Hawaii. And then when I landed, I drove straight to the airport, to the, um, to the hospital, walked into her room and she sat up and looked at me eye to eye and then back down. And that was the last time she opened her eyes. And um, so that was really interesting to me. I, I hadn't really experienced a soul come visit me while they're still in transition, I guess. And so that's what I've learned since then is that, you know, of course, people um, can leave their bodies and astral travel and that kind of thing, even though they're still here. So she stayed in she stayed on this in more or less in her body until my brother also flew out later that week. And then um, ironically, um, my, one of my stepdad's, uh, best friends was like a top neuro neurosurgeon in Minneapolis. And he just happened to be coming to Kauai at that day. So he came directly to the hospital, did an evaluation because my stepdad really wanted to take my mom home and, and rehabilitate her if that was possible. And the neurosurgeon said, you know, really, no, I mean, if she were to ever wake up she wouldn't be able to speak or eat or do anything. And so that's when my stepdad agreed that hospice was the best way. And then within an hour, my mom took her last breath and she was just waiting for him to be okay with that. So, um, yeah, but then when my mom died, that was really hard on me. I, 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 the whole television thing, I was literally signing contracts when, when, when this was happening. And so I just pulled out, I said, I can't do this. I don't want to do this. And it took me um, a few years to kind of come back because I felt like if I can't help myself, I can't help others, you know, go, going through this grief process. So since I've moved to Maui, which has now been four and a half years ago, um, amazing things have happened, including uh, connecting with this IAMS group, the International Association of Near-Death Studies. Um, the woman that had started it here on Maui invited me to uh, be the co-leader. I was the second speaker. And um, interestingly, the at the first meeting, they had a support group that I walked into and I was a little late. And you know how when you walk in and you're late, you just kind of keep your head down until you find a seat and then you sit down and then you kind of look around and figure out like, okay, here I am. Well, I, I look around and there's Ram Das sitting right next to me. And um, he he's a, an amazing, beautiful spiritual teacher that had lived on Maui for the whole time um, that I'd been here. Um, and we just kept running into each other in all these amazing places. And one of them was there and he got to hear my whole um, experience, which is what I just shared with you. And just to be able to have him witness that to me was such a gift. And, um, and then later when he died, which was uh, 
December 22nd, interestingly, also um, my husband died February 22nd and Ram Dass died December 22nd, 2019. I was here in Maui and I don't normally take a nap, but that day I did. And I remember waking up and just kind of stepping or standing on my feet. And all of a sudden I got pushed from the side and fell onto my bed. And I said, out of my mouth said, Ram Das, what are you doing? And I don't know why I said it. I don't know, you know, what <laughs> it just was such a abrupt moment. And then um, within an hour, I received a text message that he had passed away. So that was, um, that was literally a drive-by um, I've had with him. And then the next day I was having a chiropractic um, session. And as I was laying on the table, all of a sudden I felt Ram Das's energy just come over me like a blanket. And in my mind, I said, Ram Das, what are you doing? Go to the light, go to the light. And he said, Lisa, you are the light. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I just started crying. I just could feel him just settle his energy just right on my on my physical body and um just such a gift to um to have connected so deeply with him and yet he was never a guru to me per se i've never even read any of his books but um he was just a very very special man that um whenever i saw him we just would gaze into each other's eyes which he did with everybody but there was just he was a really enlightened being and i'm i'm so grateful i have the opportunity to meet with him. And, uh, and then since then, um, a few friends of mine, um, since being the co-leader of the IMS group on Maui, I got to meet lots of people that have had near death experiences. And, um, I gathered together, uh, five psychics and we called it the Maui channel five. We're all channels. And this was during COVID. It was one of those moments where they let us have group meetings before they closed everything down again. So I think there was maybe, 30 of us in the room or something, but um, we channeled, it was called, it was celebrity night or something like that. And so we were bringing in all of these amazing celebrities. And one of them that has come to me many, many times is Robin Williams. And uh, it's just such a gift to have him come through my body. And that night in particular, he was very animated and very excited. And, um, and it's just, it's always just fun to, to allow those energies to, um, you know, come through. So uh, trying to think if there's anything else, I guess the only other thing is um, I, I did, I, I'm no longer doing it, but for two and a half years, I did have a podcast called exploring death where I interviewed many near death experiences, experiencers, but also hospice people and attorneys and ER doctors and um, you know, all sorts of people that are interested in death and, and uh, what that's all about. Because um, after coming to Maui, I also became a hospice volunteer. And um, I, I mean, there's really no greater joy to me than to sit with somebody who is, you know, on the verge of crossing over and just opening that space and holding it for them so that they can feel a little bit of comfort and to know they're not alone. Um, And, um, and in fact, it was, I never, I never get sick, but during the training, um, we had a day off or something. And I remember waking up and I felt I was so sick. I mean, I literally like my eyes were caked closed. I was, I was congested. I could hardly breathe. I was freaking out because I never get sick. And so I lay down in bed and, and my guides came to me and they're like, Lisa, you are too giddy about death. We need to show you what it's like just a little bit of what your patients might be feeling when they're laying in bed and they're not going to get better. 
And here you are like, oh, it's going to be amazing. You're going to go to the other side and see all this amazing stuff. It's like, no, you aren't there to tell them anything other than to hold that space and just be that loving presence and allow them to process whatever they need to process. And most of the time I sit with um, imminent patients that aren't speaking anyway. So I just, um, I just hold that space and it's such a reverent, beautiful moment. And I'm so grateful for my guides to have basically slapped me down (laughs) because sometimes um, those of us, and I have several of my friends that are in this kind of death field that are get very giddy and excited about it. But you know, when it hits home, it's a very different story. Like when my mom died or my son recently had a friend uh, killed by a car in a car accident. And, you know, it's, it's devastating and it's awful when, when you actually experience it up close and personal, but when you're able to, you know, step back and see it from a distance, um, it's just to me fascinating and exciting. And, and I, I find great um, joy to be able to, to help people process their grief and help less than any kind of suffering that might be on this planet. So well, thank you for sharing those experiences. I really appreciate it. Yes, thank you. <laughs> I didn't know I had so much to say. That's okay. So I want to take you back to the beginning. And first, I want to ask about what heaven looked like. There's three or four people now that are starting to describe it as more kind of like what you are, but more like Roman columns or Greek columns. Mm. Would you feel it was like that? Or do you still feel more it's like medieval castle-like? Yeah, for me, it was more medieval castle-like, um, but I mean, it's like I can almost clearly remember, you know, the subway tiles, how they're kind of rectangular and then they're, they're offset. So they're kind of, or, you know, I guess the way any kind of stone um, building is built with those offset rectangular, that's kind of what it was, but it was so... I want to say crystal. I mean, it wasn't crystal, but so, so clean. And there was no, there was no dirt. There was no, um, I I mean, it's like, to me, when I think of a castle, it seems old and dusty and dirty. And it wasn't that it was, it was something way more, um, again, I want to say the word slick, but it wasn't slick and it wasn't, I mean, it was, it was just pure love, but in this divine essence of purity, I don't, again, it's very difficult to articulate. <laughs> was it like, you know, shining bright white, um, gleaming white perhaps? Yeah, maybe gleaming. Um, and I want to say more like the metallics, you know, more like silvery gold, platinum, kind of like that. Hmm. It appears that from your experience, you gain this ability of connecting with the angels, with people from the other side. Did you end up getting any other abilities from that experience? Well, I I don't know that I'd call them abilities. I would definitely say my sensitivity level has completely gone through the roof. I mean, I, my hearing, we used to live quite a long way away from the high school in my, in Ridgefield, Connecticut, but I could hear the bells every time, like they would, you know, every 50 minutes or whatever. Um, so going to anything with loud noises is very difficult for me and, and bright lights, um, and food sensitivities. I, I mean, I no longer can eat 
any kind of fast food or sodas or anything kind of artificial. Like I'm very much plant-based now and, um, uh, 